The first reading for the Feast of All Saints is from the Revelation to St. John, chapter 7, beginning at the second verse. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seal. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out to the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. These are the ones coming out to the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion.
The epistle is from 1 John chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. <coughs> See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hallelujah. Holy Gospel is written in the fifth chapter of St. Matthew, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up upon the mountain, and then he sat down with his disciples, and they came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called God's sons. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ninety-eight were the number that streamed in of the glorious host that day. Ninety-eight Christian men, women, and children entered the kingdom of heaven as martyrs. Years before, Abraham, that was his name, had given up heathenism. He had given up his paganism as a Delaware Indian, and he had converted to Christ. He had received baptism. He had received communion. And now his community of over 200, 98 of them were with him. They'd gone back to Eastern Ohio to collect corn. It was during the Revolutionary War. The British had moved them off their land. The Mohawks had told them three years before that if the missionaries that didn't, didn't leave, the German missionaries didn't leave, that they would come and kill everyone, men, women, and children of the, Mo of the Delaware and the Germans, and burn down the missions. 
Now the British had moved them off. And they begged permission from the commandant in Detroit to go out back to their fields in eastern Ohio and collect what corn still laid in the field because they were starving. And so they 98 them went back. And that's when a hundred colonial militia from the Pennsylvania militia rolled into town with, with a desire to kill Indians. And now 98 of them were bound in their old church building. They spent a whole night there without food or water or, lat- or latrine. And in the morning, the, the 100 troopers held a, held a trial. And only 18 of those Pennsylvania militiamen voted for mercy. All the rest voted for death. And these Delawares had done nothing wrong. They had never joined in the fighting on either side. They'd been peaceful. They were friends to the Pennsylvanians. Friends, they saw them as fellow Christians. And after the sentence was pronounced, Abraham was shocked, but eventually he regained his voice. And he said, and I quote, I call upon God as my witness that we have done nothing to you to merit this sentence. But my people, we are willing to die for Christ. I just ask you that you give us one day to call upon him for his mercy and part our hearts in prayer before him in pardon. And the bloodthirsty Colonel Williamson shrugged. What does one day make? So he granted the request. And that night, Abraham spoke at length. He said, my children, hear me. Our sentence is fixed. We shall soon depart unto our Savior. This I must say now. I have sinned in many ways. I have grieved the Lord in my disobedience, but I cling to my Savior with my last breath. I will hold fast to him. Though I am a great sinner, he will forgive me all my sins, and he will by no means cast me out. Together they prayed into the night, until finally it was only Abraham who was awake, staring into the darkness of the church church sanctuary, wondering how such a thing could happen among Christians. And then slowly the the windows began began to gray, and the sun broke the horizon in the east, and he heard them coming. And he awakened, he wakened his flock, and they said their final prayers. Before all 98 of them, men and women and children, were martyred. Blessed are you, our Lord says, when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's people like Abraham that we must remember in his flock when we think of All Saints Day. These are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They are our brothers and sisters, they are our example. May we also have the courage they had if we are called upon to give that confession. Because those, those Delawares of eastern Ohio, they were ba- ba- baptized and born again of the same mother, Mother Church, in the womb of the font, just as we saw little Gloria Kathleen. You know, those are Kathleen's, Gloria Kathleen's brothers and sisters, as they are ours. 
And they also had drank from the same cup that we drink from this morning. And they ate from the same body of Christ shed for them and us upon the cross. And so it is true with all saints. All saints. They are our family and we are their kin. Because we all have the same father who art in heaven. And we all have the same mother who art the church. And the same savior who who is the son. Who died and was buried and rose again the third day on our behalf. Yes, we all share in the same blessing, the same makarios. And it's interesting that this word means happy, which seems like a contradiction in terms. How can 98 men, women, and children, or how can the apostles who are all put to death violently with the exception of John, and his, his fate in many ways was worse because he was left behind just to, just to die of his own, of his own uh, natural causes. You know, how can we say they're happy? But you see, the ancient word for happiness isn't the way we define it. We define happiness as an emotional feeling that we have at the moment. Oh, I feel happy. I'm so happy. But happiness from the ancient understanding was goodness. It was an ultimate moral ideal. To be blessed is the same thing as being happy. To being ultimately good through being moral. Moral from the way God views it. It's not a feeling. It's a condition of being. It is, in the New Testament sense, the distinctive joy that comes through participation with Jesus Christ in his kingdom. You see, I don't know, I don't know whether Gloria Kathleen was happy before the, the baptism. She certainly behaved happily. But now she is happy because she's in Christ, as are all of you who have been born again through water and the word in this room. You're happy in Christ. You're blessed in Christ. You share in this final eschatological, this final blessedness that is embedded by Christ in the paradoxes of his holy word. Because that's how he presents it, right? He talks about how blessed are the poor, right? Blessed are those who mourn. I mean, the, 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 the Beatitudes are just one paradox after another. Blessed are you when they persecute you, right? Blessed are you. And yet it's true. Our faith, Christianity, is a paradox. I mean, how is it that he that endureth to the end shall be saved, Matthew 24, 13, or or, or in Matthew 10, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So that for the Christian in this world, often it, it seems better to not be a believer. And that's why many have departed the faith. They're seeking that emotional happiness that comes from not being stressed or not being persecuted or not being picked on. No, the blessingness of God points to the end, the telos, the the final goal that God has for your lives. You know who that final goal is? That final goal is Jesus Christ. He is the final goal. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who begins the good work in us, as we saw this morning with Gloria, Kathleen, and, and he is the one who will bring that good work one day in her life, as he will in our lives, to a completion. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. And the Beatitudes portray in abstract a picture of our Messiah, who he is, literally who he is. And it's also the essence of Jesus' message. Yes, in the Beatitudes, Jesus predicts how we Christians will fare in this hostile world. Right? 
And it's interesting because there is no suggestion that the disciples suffered before the crucifixion. They did not. It was only after the crucifixion that they suffered. And that's why Jesus says in today's gospel lesson, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Yes, he who does not take up his cross, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 38, and follow after me is unworthy of me. Yes, these predictions of Christian suffering predate the predictions of the crucifixion even, which I think is very interesting. And so the Beatitudes prepare Jesus' followers. They prepare us for suffering. For, you know, even in this world today, you know, Christians are the most persecuted group of people anywhere. Even in this country, they're persecuted. Yet also the Beatitudes comfort us that all these things will turn out for our good, our makarios. And so to communicate this to us, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and, and, and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called God's sons. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to these people. All paradoxes. Because all the things that are supposedly blessed are all the things our world teaches us that we do not want. Who wants to be poor in spirit or mourn or be meek? You know, the meek don't get, the, they don't get promotions. Peacemakers get made doormats. We should avenge ourselves upon our enemies. We shouldn't put up with persecution. Yes, they're paradoxes. And yet, we know that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And why do we love God? Because we've chosen Him? We've made a choice to, to love God? No, we love God because He first loved us. He first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. And so herein is love, that not that we love God, but that He first loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. John, 1 John 4, verse 10. And what does it mean to be a propitiation? Well, often in some English translations, it'll have expiation, like, like you va- that means like to vacuum up the dirt on the carpet or wash the dirt off somebody's face. But propitiation, which is the better word in the Greek here, means that there's no washing this filth off. There's no taking this dirt off. A substitute must be found for everything. There must be a sacrifice. There must be a person that voluntarily takes our place and dies on our behalf upon the cross. It is the only way the sin can be blotted out, and which is exactly what Jesus does. And therefore, the Beatitudes point to how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the Beatitudes, in the Beatitudes, we see how Jesus is how he is the resurrection and our life. 
And we see this. For believers know that they are poor in spirit because they know they come to God with nothing and can have nothing and can earn nothing that will merit them heaven. They are blessed in their mourning because we Christians, as we mourn for other believers, we mourn not as others who have no hope, but we know that one day we will be reunited with our our dead in heaven on the last day, if not sooner. We believers understand that it is a blessing to be meek and humble before our enemies because it is God who will avenge us and that we're to pray for those enemies because as Jesus said upon the cross, he prayed for his enemies. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so it is true for many of our enemies because we struggle not against flesh and blood but against against wickedness in heavenly places. We know that the merciful will be blessed by obtaining mercy. Why? Because but by the grace of God, there go I. The only reason any of us are in this room today is because God had mercy upon us, a mercy we could not merit and we do not deserve. So we have no reason to be prideful. Yes, we know that Jesus is the one who purifies our hearts by his justifying grace, both here on earth in the sacraments and one day in heaven. One day we, like Job, shall see the Lord with our own eyes and himself we will behold and not another. Even as today we behold him under the veils of bread and wine and the the veil of water and holy baptism. And then as God's children, we desire what he desires. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Yes, Jesus Christ came as our Prince of Peace and he gives us the peace that goes beyond human understanding. And if we're in him, we will desire that peace for each other. Finally, we forgive each other because we are truly God's children. And we know that we have been forgiven without without meriting that forgiveness. And so we desire to forgive our neighbor because we know through God's word that if we do not forgive a man his trespasses, neither will our Father in heaven forgive us. Finally, we are blessed. We are makarios like these 98 Delaware Christians because we're persecuted. What seems like an insane contradiction, yet it is true. For you see, the persecution of the church is the watermark validating the genuineness of our faith. Because just as Christ is not of this world, if we are not of this world, this world will not like us. It is true. Jesus himself makes it very clear in John 15, 20 and Mark, Matthew 10, 20, not 28, that a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will persecute you. And so if you're not getting flack, then your bomber is not over the target. You took a wrong turn or went somebody else. Where else? You're not in the fight. And though we are persecuted, we are not forsaken. The apostle tells us, though we are struck down, we are not destroyed. In 2 Corinthians 4, 9, we read, and indeed, all who desire a godly life in Christ Jesus, Paul says to Timothy in his second epistle, will be persecuted. Yet ultimately, what does it matter if we inherit heaven? In the name of Jesus, amen.